Welcome to Game Dev Stories, an interview show about the development histories of your favorite video games. On the show, we interview industry veterans and some indie designers and find out about how games are made and the people who made them. Today, we have Ken Williams, who, along with his wife, Roberta, co-founded one of gaming's most beloved institutions, Sierra Online. Thank you so much for joining us, Ken. No, thank you for having me. So can we start before the games? What is your upbringing? Can we start? Oh, my upbringing. Um, Well, let's see. um, Not very fancy. My dad was a TV repairman. Um, Grew up in a fairly poor, um, highly diverse neighborhood. And um, managed to get through uh, elementary school pretty quick get into uh, college but complete uh, disaster in college because I managed to get into it because I got out of uh, high school early I was in college at 15 Mm. and um, pretty immature I guess you'd say and almost immediately kind of um, well first off I needed to kind of support myself and couldn't do that in college so Mm. and I met Roberta and um, we quickly had kids or at least kid and um, I had to get a job. And so I worked, uh, actually, when we were first married, I worked uh, picking up um, trash at a drive-in movie theater and uh, stuff like that mm. and decided I needed to do something better than that with my life and uh, <laughs> went to a, a nine-month trade school for programming. And this was, um, I'm old, but I'm not that old. It's amazing how young the computer industry is. In Absolutely. That, um, in those days, I mean, programming really was uh, pretty primitive. I started programming on a um, where literally we were moving wires on boards in order to mm. program and then went to a uh, programming in a language called RPG, which is more kind of a um, almost like a spreadsheet based language and then started doing COBOL programming and um yeah, and, and actually it worked out good. I mean, going to a trade school for me. And dropping out of college was clearly kind of the right answer. So. <laughs> where did you find video games along the way? Or where did it translate into like interactive design? Yeah. Um, well, I mean, I, I wanted to, um, Microsoft was just firing up at that time. Mm. And uh, they had released a uh, basic compiler for the, and I'd done compiler development on mainframe computers. And it looked like Microsoft was going to, become a big company someday, um, <laughs> even though in those days, I think they only had, you know, 10 or 20 employees. Mm. And um, I said, well, I, you know, since I also did compiler development, I knew Fortran. I'd put up a Fortran compiler on one machine or similar to Fortran. And I said, well, I'll put uh, Fortran on the um, TRS-80. And then uh, at that time, the uh, Apple computer came out, and I kind of flipped over to saying, well, I'll put uh, Fortran on the Apple. And um, I happened to have a um, terminal, you know, a teletype machine at home. And uh, I found a game on it that was just a text game that was uh, called Adventure. And I uh, thought it was kind of fun. And I showed Roberta and she started playing it and fell in love and said, this is this is great. And uh, she actually played through the whole game. And uh, while I was working on my Fortran compiler and um, then she talked me into programming up a game for her called Mystery House. 
and I mm. took it to a, uh, well, I, I was showing a local computer store in uh, Northridge, California, one of the first, I think at the time there were only like eight computer stores in the nation. And um, I was showing them um, the game I'd done with her and I was showing them my Fortran compiler and they uh, they wanted to buy lots and lots of copies of the game and none of the mm. uh, compiler. And that told me that uh, where the money was. And so, um, so I not only did that game, but we started doing lots more games and um, yeah, did something like 200 games over the next 20 years. How did that partnership work? Where which of you were doing which part, and how did it lead into Sierra? Yeah, it well, I mean, in the beginning, um, she did the design and I did the programming, and then mm-hmm. she did the art and she did all the QA, and um, you know, and kind of the big invention, I guess, at my part was that um, computers then were pretty primitive. I mean, it was. Um, you know, working with an assembler and uh, not much of one on a 6502, not much of an operating system and um, and an 80K floppy. And she had defined something with 100 locations and uh, she wanted to have pictures. And she says, how am I going to fit 100 pictures on 80K of floppy, uh, some of which was used by the operating system? So um, I kind of... uh, was the first to come up with, uh, for, I guess, personal computers, the idea of using vectored graphics to squeeze things down. And um, that worked well. I mean, we, we, we made a nice team and did several games together. But um, ultimately, the market wanted more games than her and I could do alone. So we mm-hmm. um, you know, started bringing in other people, and then we needed people to copy disks, and then Sierra was born. When was the moment you thought it was working out? Like, when was the aha moment? Sierra's going to yeah. make it. I, it, you know, it's, um, I, I had wanted to get out of L.A. We were in L.A. at the time, and we had young children. And um, L.A. then looked a lot like downtown Seattle now, I guess you'd <laughs> sure. say. Yeah. Um, kind of kind of a kind of a rough place to try to raise little kids mm-hmm. so we wanted to move to the woods that was always kind of our vision was to move to yosemite and raise our kids in a um, you know kind of a woodsy type environment and um we were uh, you know I, I i kept trying different things because i wanted to be um you know it wasn't even so much a, a goal of being an entrepreneur as it was of figuring out how we were going to get out of a big city because in, in those days computer jobs didn't exist in places like Seattle it was um yeah so I, I kind of started the company with a goal of doing that and it probably didn't take you know within a month of shipping our first game that it just seemed obvious that we could go ahead and sell our house and move i mean it all happened really quick we shipped Mm. the first game in um i think it was may of uh, 1980 and by august or september we were moving up to the woods so it all happened um at the speed of light i guess you'd say in 90 days i mean it was just (laughs) yeah i mean you could tell that it was um the beginning of an industry Mm. so and i think Sierra is kind of emblematic of a certain corner of that industry, one of the most respected brands in it. Uh, why do you think that is? And what did you value about game design? Um, you know, I, I think what made Sierra unique was our 
approach to the business and that I tried to run the company like a giant fan club in a way, you know, on, on all of our products, it said from the Sierra family. And we did some things that were unique in the industry. Like, um, I mean, now if, if you want to return a product, you can, but in those days you'd have to take it back to the store. If you bought a game and didn't like it. Mm-hmm. And uh, <laughs> we wanted to be ahead of that. We even, it, it, and I, and I wanted to respect the retailers. So if you bought a game and you weren't happy and uh, you could send it to Sierra and we'd give you a full refund, shipping charge and all. We were, um, you know, we didn't always get it right, but we mm-hmm. paid extreme attention to customer support, to um, um, recognizing our own mistakes and take, and, you know, and giving people their money back if we blew something mm-hmm. um, to, well, I don't know. And, and, and also, I think because the industry, because Sierra was there first, we were able to attract kind of the best talent in the industry because um, we were kind of known as the place to work in those days. It'd be like, um, you know, Blizzard would be today or something like that. Mm -hmm. Um, And everybody kind of wanted to be at Sierra and customers knew that if you wanted to see kind of the newest, coolest technology, look to see what Sierra's doing. So it, um, yeah, it allowed us to attract really good people to get good customers. And and we shipped a lot of, um, a lot of great product. I mean, over, you know, like I said, over 200 titles and, um, and that's just the titles, you know, when you look at it in terms of the SKUs or the individual platform type products it mm-hmm. was like 2500 something like that, that many okay yeah with all yeah. the in it yeah all the you know the pc version and mac version and mm. it, it although it you know now i you know on, on the game i'm currently working on we did 22 22 versions right so yeah. um you can see how these things kind of fan out although in those days there was fewer places to fan it i mm. mean there was really just um pc and mac and com 64 and atari uh, so fewer places, but we we did them. As the company was entering the market, you needed really creative solutions and to kind of like form the things that you wanted to make, almost invent uh, new um, systems for doing things. Uh, how do you feel that process went, and what was that like for you? Well, I it um, I mean it went good. I you know I I thought of it in terms of categories that we wanted into and um, trying to constantly figure out where the market was going and what new technologies were going to make a difference so that we could try to get there first. Mm. Um, in terms of technologies, you know, like it, it's hard to believe now, but um, simple things like supporting a mouse or supporting a joystick or supporting a sound card were um, considered pioneering efforts in those days. <laughs> and uh, so we always wanted to, when when something new was would come along, um, yeah, our, our series King's Quest, I guess, within the adventure games was always kind of the, um, oh, I don't know, they, where we pioneered what we would yeah. do because we used a common technology, almost like um, Unity or Unreal. We had our own game engine we had developed and with each King's Quest, and we released, I think, nine of them, eight or nine of them over time. I think it was eight, eight. Roberta's in the background, so correct me if I get it wrong. But, <laughs> sure. uh, but we, uh, with each King's Quest, we would uh, set a goal to find something new to do, either in terms of UI or um, 
hardware support or something. And um, once we'd nail that, then the other game series would uh, inherit that new technology. So, you know, King's Quest was always kind of the big budget project that would get a lot of new technology. And then other series like Leisure Suit Larry or Space Quest um, would inherit that technology. Or the Dr. Brain series, the EcoQuest series. We had a lot of different series. And we kind of worked in terms of, um, you know, a couple of years for each new King's Quest. And that would, um, you know, set some new state of the art. And on the category side, um, we were always kind of thought of as an adventure game company. And I thought that limited our maximum size. So I had other categories I wanted into. I wanted into the uh, 3D shooter market and did Half-Life. I wanted mm-hmm. into um, like uh, fantasy role-playing games or I guess with Ultimate, whatever category that is. Um, I wanted into uh, board game markets. So we launched Hoyles. I wanted into Flight Sims. So we did uh, Pro Pilot. So it, um, yeah, we kind of had both a technology strategy and a um, product category strategy and uh, and education. You know, we were um, number one in games and I wanted to be number one in education worldwide. And we kind of did that in Europe. Mm-hmm. Never, uh, never really was as strong in the U.S. in education as I wanted to be. But uh, we wanted to be number one in all categories on all platforms if we could pull it off. And, and we got we got pretty darn close. Of course. Um, They say that most of gaming history has kind of disappeared from internet or preservation. Uh, I read something about 13% of games are being preserved in gaming's history, which leaves a lot out there. A lot of things were developed for unique technologies. Um, Do you feel there's a better way to preserve the history of companies like Sierra? Um, Mm -hmm. Do you feel enough games are available to consumers and how would you do that? Yeah, I mean, part of the problem is the hardware changes. You know, the games are kind of linked to the hardware. And when you look at some of the old, old, old games, you'll see, you know, like there's Apple emulators on the net that will run some of our old Apple II games. But um, I don't know. I mean, part of the problem is there's not much money in it, and yet it's a lot of work to get them to run on modern yeah. computers. So nobody does it. Um you know, I wrote my book kind of to tell the history of Sierra and that, you know, you know, Sierra never should have failed. That's the depressing part is I really did think it would live forever and the games would live forever. And uh, unfortunately, um, after we sold it, it all kind of crashed and burned. But um, yeah, I, I mean, it's sad. So do you regret selling it? I know people like me must believe that if you stayed in it, it would have continued to succeed. Yeah, I you know, I was kind of burnt out. I mean, we'd run it yeah. for 20 years. And sure. um, so in a way, I guess I'm not sorry I sold Sierra. I'm sorry that I sold it to the wrong person. Mm-hmm. And but then it, again, it might be that there was no right person, you know, for um, Sierra was really run. I, I, I guess we ran it pretty tight. It was run differently than most other companies are. And it might have been that no matter who we sold it to, it would have crashed and burned. It was really, um, yeah, I was pretty integral to the process and that I met with, you know, all the developers. And we were scattered. We had, um, I think, 13 locations spanning oh, um, several different states plus several different countries. 
And uh, I spent most of my life on an airplane. And that was part of the problem with the burnout. And, you know, at, so I don't know. I mean, we definitely sold to the wrong people. Mm-hmm. It was um, it was kind of the right time personally in that um, uh, Roberta would still uh, wanted to stay in and was mad at me for wanting to sell the company. Yeah. And sure. um, and I can't say that I aggressively wanted to sell the company, but it did feel kind of like um, I was tired of riding on airplanes and the company had gotten so big. I mean, at that point, we had a thousand employees. And instead of me feeling like I was building games, I was feeling like I was running a giant monopoly or not monopoly, a giant uh, bureaucracy is the word I was looking for. Yeah. And um, yeah, no part of me wanted to be a corporate bureaucrat. I was jealous of the people that worked for Sierra because they got to do fun things, you know, and and while I was uh, dealing with spreadsheets, riding on planes, they were all building games and doing cool things. So, you know, like like now we're building a game, but the um, fun part for, part for me is being close to the developers and getting to work with them. Um, and when people say, do you hope, you know, that Cygnus, the new company, will become the next Sierra? I go, God, I hope not. You know, I really want to sure. stay close to the product. And um, um, yeah, no, I'd be I'd be depressed if uh, Cygnus got really big and I suddenly spent all my life doing spreadsheets sheets and riding on airplanes again that would not be the goal one of our first interviews i talked to one of my favorite sierra designers al Lowe, already for this uh-huh. series and uh, uh he's always a character in a fun interview um he said that most of the work was like contract work like he'd almost like take it and then go work in almost another location and then bring it into a team uh, what was the structure like for sierra that made it kind of unique or independent in a way uh-huh. Yeah, I mean, there were some philosophies that I had that um, sort of shut down hours after we sold the company. I I, I kind of had this belief that um, development happens best with a fairly small team or at least a small location. You know, like we had this company, Papyrus, and all they did was race car games. Mm-hmm. And you go into their office and everybody was into race cars and there were um, posters of race cars on the walls. And it was this, uh, they had their culture, and I had a, a guy who ran that business. And um, it was great. It wasn't a big corporate bureaucracy. It was a small development team. They were the, um, they were in this, in their own offices, their own space, and I would fly out to meet them. Yeah, you know, I don't think if you have a building with a thousand people in it, you can uh, build great games, or at least I never found out how. Instead, I would put a fairly small number of people in a place, enough to build that game and um, let them have their culture. And the culture was very different. You know, that they were in Boston, Papyrus was, but we also had another company that did um, Caesar. And I can't remember the name of the company right now, hmm. but it was kind of a uh, strategy game. And you would go to their offices and it was just, you know, day and night. I mean, it was a different animal from what you would see at Papyrus. Hmm. And then we had a company called Bright Star that was uh, um, kids' educational products. And you would go to theirs and it was, once again, day and night. I mean, it was a, and and so that was both the beauty and the uh, disaster of Sierra was that we were scattered to all these locations, each of whom were targeting a different product category and kind of had their own culture. And I believed in having um, individual 
what did I, I don't remember what I call them. I think I called them presidents. You know, mm. there was a president at Dynamics. There was a president of Brightstar. There was a president of um, even of Sierra. And mm. all of these people were kind of responsible for their product category. And I wanted to deliberately keep them small so that the culture in that organization could be um, could be unique to the product category and they could really get inside of it. And I, I just don't believe big companies build great products. I mean, maybe, you know, if you're Microsoft building Microsoft Office, they do. Mm-hmm. But for right. creating games, I wanted, um, yeah, I wanted something that felt like product development, like gamers, you know, I wanted gamers and gamers who lived and breathed the category. So it, and, and then after we sold the company, um, the new vision, and I talked to uh, some of the people that were running it after that was, gosh, we've got this company and it's scattered all across the world. Let's bring it all together. And they went around and shut down most of the offices. And then, you know, what do you do? I mean, you suddenly you shut down Papyrus and move the race car games up to corporate. Who's going to build them? Right. Now you got to yeah. figure out how to acquire guys that do those games. And, um, and it was just a total disaster. They saved a lot of money and nobody had to fly all over the world to check on the products. But um, but then again, there was no products coming out. And it was, uh, yeah, it was just a sad situation. I mean, we we ran, yeah, we were not running Lean Me. We were running according to what I thought was right that customers would want us to do. And, um, you know, it, it's, you know, playing the long game. I guess mm-hmm. Sierra strategy because we were around for 20 years. Sure. I mean, I was, we would get together once a year and plan out kind of the next, you know, three to five years of products. And um, we, and, and, and it's different than I think. Um, well, it was certainly different than the people that acquired the company thought. Okay. So, yeah. Do you feel that there was a product category that you missed or was there a white whale game you wish you could have published? Well, I mean, in effect, in that uh, you notice the name of Sierra was Sierra Online. From the mm. very beginning, I wanted to do massively multiplayer games. Wow. And yeah. um, early on, you know, I, I wanted to do Call of Duty or some of this stuff, but there was no internet in mm. the um, in the uh, 80s or 90s. It really didn't come along until the time we sold the company, which was 1996. And, you know, in, in the absence of internet, I created my own network. You know, we had, um, if, um, if if anybody looks back at something called the Sierra Network that uh, was later renamed to the Imagination Network, we put up our own network and um, had, well, I don't know, somewhere between, uh, when, I, when I left the company, about 10,000 people that were active subscribers and went to about 100,000 before it was shut down. But it was on our own proprietary network. We had flight sims, card games, board games, gambling games, um, games for kids. I mean, we probably had fifty games on the darn thing, mm. and um, and it was uh, it was kind of the first big massive multiplayer type project. And um, had I stayed in, I, I certainly would have wanted to own that category. But there was no internet, so. It was, um, yeah, we were too far ahead of our time. So, too far ahead of the time. And then games also moving in a different direction, seemingly at the same time. Did you ever feel like you were brought into something like what was developing in the 90s? Like there was the uh, uh, adversity between companies like Nintendo, Sega. Did you ever feel like there was a, a rivalry for you 
LucasArts Sierra anything? Well, the LucasArts Sierra was certainly a rivalry on Infocom. Mm -hmm. And the three of us, uh, you know, kind of went head to head on adventure games. But Nintendo and Sega and Sony, I didn't think about at all. I, oh, yeah. It was really in those days, there was computer games and there was uh, video games. Yeah. And the two didn't overlap. And there were very few games that went both places. The um, consoles in those days couldn't handle the graphics and sound and everything from computers. And um, yeah, so I, you know, I never got up in the morning and said, that I'm competing with Nintendo or video games. It just wasn't part of that world. Um, we did at one point try to go into video games, and it happened to be at a time when the video game market collapsed, almost took us with it because we bought lots of inventory for cartridges mm -hmm. and spent all the money to develop games. And then 2000, no, what was it? I don't even remember what year, but uh, the market just fell apart and almost took us with it. And um, I was, it, it, you know, because I had gotten burnt doing development for a cartridge, I said, I'm never going to do that again. And, um, and we didn't. So, you know, probably that's the big opportunity that I missed is that um, we should have done more in video games and probably would have had we stayed in the game, we probably mm -hmm. would have certainly done that. As it um, overlapped more over time. And now it's almost, yeah. you know, it's very similar now. Possibly. Well, the economics are way different now, too. In those days, everything was cartridge-based, and you would have to buy literally 10000 at a time or more from Nintendo um, cartridges, and uh, they would be expensive. You know, they could be $15 a piece, hmm. and uh, then you got to repay your development. you got to market the product. you got to distribute it, and it winds up on shelves at $49, and I get you know three or four after everything's said and done. But uh, today, it's uh, more, I mean, really, it feels like the computer market, and it's all digital download for the most part, and there's no um, raw materials cost. You just put the game up there and hope people download it, and you wind up getting a majority of the money. Do you think the modern system still requires publishers like Sierra, or do you think someone could just create their studio and find funding and then put it out? Um, well, I, you know... It's it's become like the, um, I guess, kind of like the music industry and that uh, well, our movie business where there's a lot more content than, um, you know, it, it, it's there's if there's what what was it like 300 titles a week or something released yeah, on Steam? It's a lot. And of those, 99.9% are going to sell under 100 copies. I mean, it's really <laughs> a kind of an ugly market. That um, even us, as well known as I am and Roberta is, and Colossal Cave is, um, we're doing good. We're going to break even development, but you know, and and I think that puts us in a pretty unusual category. And I think the vast majority of the indie developers starve, I mean, they're really doing it for the love of building games. It's um, to do something that's a true commercial hit. You either got to luck. I wouldn't say luck into something. You got to be creating something so amazing that it cuts through the clutter, or you got to have you know a big budget and be putting ten million to a hundred million into development. It's a um, yeah. I guess all I can say is it's a tough, tough business. 
And, um, but it's also nice and that amongst all of those hundreds of titles that people are doing, you know, all the small indie developers working in a garage, there is going to be by the end of the year, there's going to be five to 10 that break through and mm. are incredible and make a lot of money. Mm. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's a different world than in the old days where there were, um, or maybe it is like the old days. And that, you know, <laughs> maybe it's closer. Day, yeah. You know, we were, because we already, because we had so much momentum and our name was so well known, we knew our products would sell. I mean, we, even even our dogs in an infinitely smaller park market would sell 100,000 copies. So it's... Um, yeah, but at, at, even at that time, there were people, a lot of wannabe developers out there that couldn't crack through, mm. and we knew it. I mean, you know, mostly we looked at them to see if there were any products or product categories we should be doing. So it, it's tough business. It's very interesting to think about. We were just talking about you uh, publishing Half-Life, and then now we're talking about Steam as the marketplace itself. Uh, what was the relationship with Valve like back then? And um have they been an interesting studio for you to follow? Uh, you know, I didn't really follow them. I was actually mm. kind of uh, surprised. I mean, when we sold Sierra, Roberta and I retired and basically went boating. We, um, I, But I, in a serious way, I mean, we took a small boat. I'm talking to you from on our boat. Mm. We took a small 68-foot uh, boat around the world, and I wrote four books on boating and um, got a captain's license and a diesel mechanics license and all kinds of things and became um, semi-famous in the boating world, I guess. Um, and so for 20 years, we really didn't think about games, didn't follow games. Um, I had no idea what happened to Valve or um, <laughs> Gabe Newell after, um, you know, I, I just saw him as a guy that built Half-Life for us. And I didn't even know he had gotten the rights back to the game. I uh, had no idea he had formed a company, Valve, and done all this stuff. So it's kind of, a, it was it was like a, a wake-up call when I decided mm. to drop back into the business to see that Steam had gone from being, um, you know, just the developer of Half-Life <laughs> to owning the industry. I mean, he's now the 800-pound uh, gorilla that, uh, yeah, controls the industry and the PC world, at least. Mm. So, um, yeah, I, I, you know, good for him. I mean, he's a smart guy, uh, you know, and, and really Half-Life was about, was unusual in that 100% of Sierra's product was developed in-house with my own people. Mm -hmm. And um, when Gabe came to me with the idea for doing uh, Half-Life, um, I could sense that he knew what he was doing and that he was a winner and that I should dump on board. And because mm. um, lots and lots and lots of people pitched me on doing products and I always said no. <laughs> but uh, the exceptions were uh, Richard Garriott with um, Ultima and, um, and Gabe with Half-Life and almost Ed with, uh, with uh, not Duke Nukem, uh, what was their big game? Uh, Doom. Doom, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um. And you so, guys just missed out on Doom, I've read, right? Is that yeah. you were almost on board? We should have done it. That that was yeah. that, that goes down. Yeah, you know, I've made a few mistakes. That that was one of the bigger ones. Um, 
a friend <laughs> every time I do one of these, a friend says, Oh, are you gonna interview Richard Garriott? He's really trying to get that going. Uh, uh um you guys have interesting paths. He, you know, went into like astronaut work, you're into boating. Um uh what was your relationship with him like? My friend really wants me to ask questions about Richard Garriott. Um I don't know. We always had a bit of a very friendly but also tense business relationship. He's a, uh, yeah, Richard was a brilliant business guy and he, you know, his, uh, well, uh, yeah, I don't know. He was, um, he was tense to deal with. He was different than other people in that he was both a product person and very passionate about his products, very uh, passionate about um, uh, the box, um, want me to put like expensive maps into the box um and always clearly wanting to spin off and do his own thing but needed my distribution mm. so i don't know yeah you could tell then he was going to be a success and he was going to do well and we always talked about he wanted to do um something he called multi multima to <laughs> do a multiplayer version of ultima mm-hmm. and uh wanted me to fund it and i never did and probably should have you know, probably it would have been um, the right product at the right time. And, um, but the internet wasn't there. So it was tough. You know, it, if I'd hung in another couple of years, probably his and my um, pads would have um, worked out a little better and that we would have done his multiple and it probably would have been a hit. Yeah. No, he's a cool guy. Uh, it just, um, we, we did a lot of negotiating. From time to time sure so but you could tell i mean he he was definitely because a, a lot of creative people are not necessarily dollars and cents focused yeah. and uh richard was both i mean he was really um really focused on um you know make it building software as a business but also had the creativity so good guy yeah as far as your own interest now are you are you both designing from the boat or do you do you uh um is that another thing you do like a do you design your game from your boat are you always on the boat well we're we're three or four months a year on the boat Mm -hmm. we uh you know like we were going around the world we would um get onto the boat and uh do three or four months on the boat and kind of get it someplace and then park it for nine months and then go uh, do other stuff and then go back to the boat so I don't uh, no, we don't live on well, we live on the boat for three and four months at a time. Sure. Right you now. Know, we've been on it now for about six weeks. Mm-hmm. And then we're gonna go back to Seattle for a week and then we'll come back to the boat and be on it for another month or two. So um but yeah, no, we work from it. Um I've got uh, Starlink on the boat, which gives me a um fair uh, an amazingly fast connection. It's uh what is it, uh, 80 megabit or something. And um, Roberta um, is in the next room uh, on her computer now working. Mm. I'm not sure what she's working on. I think working on the game. <laughs> and uh, I where are you all? Uh, sorry, where are you all traveling right now? Are you, oh, uh, right now. I mean, we just got back to uh, Roche Harbor, which is very near you. Yeah, and, sure. Uh, on San Juan Island. But we went, um, up, we didn't go that far. We, we just ran up to uh, Desolation Sound. And we're mm-hmm. cruising around up there. And then we ran Nanaimo in British Columbia for a bit. And now we're here. And um, 
normally we'd, we'd be someplace far more interesting, but we're um, working on building a house and we got to stay close to it to uh, get moved in. Oh, are you so, working in Seattle? Are you at? Yeah, well, in Seattle, we, we have a condo downtown okay. that we're hardly ever in. <laughs> sure. And uh, yeah, and used to have a place in West Seattle. Yeah, so, <laughs> right in my area uh, here, as we discussed right there, area. that's that's neat. Um, yeah, um, I, I only got a taste for it as a kid. My grandparents had a boat, and we went through the San Juans and, uh, you know, did the huh? Roach Harbor, Friday Harbor, all those uh, uh, territories along uh, British Columbia yeah. as well. It's amazing. It's a, it's a, um, it's a little like, well, I, I, you know, most of the uh, people that I know that are um, running um, boats and doing kind of the crazy stuff that we're doing are, uh, retired software engineers or engineers of some sort, because you really have a lot of systems on the boat. I have got <laughs> yeah. a 12 volt system, a 24 volt system, a 120 volt system, a uh, 240 volt system. I've got battery chargers, inverters, diesel engines, generators. Um, you know, to captain a boat and be a thousand miles offshore is not, um, you know, not not easy. Because mm -hmm. you have to be able to repair everything on the boat. Because if it breaks, uh, you know, there's there's no oars that are going to get you to shore. Have you had you any really situations like that where things have broken down and not not too many? But, mm. um, but yeah, you need we to were know. In the middle uh, off of um, oh well, off of Spain in the Balearic Islands, trying to cross the Bay of Leon, and had uh, the motors quit halfway across. I had to run a little backup engine in the middle of uh, serious storms. We uh, went across the Bering Sea. I mean, we've done we've we've done some crazy stuff, and um, it's amazing. All of it, um, yeah. I mean, nothing compares to building video games, but uh, yeah. But it is, uh, you know, it is heavily software and hardware oriented. So mm -hmm. I don't know. You said you're Fun famous stuff. in this world. Do people recognize you at the harbors? Uh, yeah, well, they, they used to, you know, kind of last okay. three years, it's kind of calmed down a little for a while there. Like, you know, we were, we were the first um, motor, well, a group of us, of um, power boaters went across the Atlantic, and that hadn't been done before for a group of um, husband, wife, kind of small boats. Uh, sailboats have done it, but it was unusual for power boats to do it. So in 2004, we went across the Atlantic and that made all the various uh, boating magazine covers. <laughs> and then in 2009, we kind of ran from um, Seattle to uh, across the uh, Bering Sea to Japan. And we called that the uh, Great Great Siberian Sushi Run. <laughs> and that made a lot of magazine covers. But okay. uh, we haven't done anything too exciting here in the last couple of years. And um, we need to, we need, because we got bogged down in a video game. Well, first sure. off, COVID came along, stopped us uh, working. And because we were bored with COVID, we said, well, let's do a video game, hmm. thinking it would be a 90 day thing. And two years later, we're still working on it. And um, yeah, I've got, um, we're working today on the uh, PS4 version. We're working mm -hmm. on the uh, PSVR2 version. We're working on uh, uh, the iOS and Android version. We've already shipped a bunch, but um, I got to get those finished off before I can really think about boating again. Absolutely. Um, if you could bring any game back that you've had in the history of the company and work on it again, 
Would you, and what would it be? Uh, I don't know. I was trying to convince Roberta yesterday that we should do a King's Quest style product. Yes. Because <laughs> it was, um, yeah, it, it was kind of a Disney-ish type series. Mm. And um, I think the market kind of wants that, that there's a lot of, um, a lot of extremely violent games out there. And even at Sierra, I was never that uh, enamored with a lot of violence in games. I, you know, it, it, I, I don't like the idea of um, kids being trained to use guns or thinking of it as normal. Mm -hmm. And um, so I kind of like some of the products like King's Quest, I thought was a wonderful product and um, what Disney in those days would have done if they were doing software. And actually we did do a line of Disney software. Hmm. So I, um, yeah, I, I was talking to Roberta about doing that. I, I've always been a big, massively multiplayer person. And so um, I've actually kind of talked a bit to uh, somebody working on a, a massively multiplayer space game, but it's also a crowded category. Yeah. So that kind of scares me about trying to go into that space. Um we really haven't had time to think about what next and um, you know, within the category of what next there's do nothing because, you know, <laughs> sure. it's uh, it, it, we had a nice life going up until mm -hmm. uh, COVID hit with uh, traveling around the world and boating. Uh, but there's also, you know, games that Roberta would like to do and games I would like to do. And, you know, it, old games from the past when uh, we started working on this game, I always loved our Dr. Brain series. It mm -hmm. um, it was kind of meant to be uh, kind of thinking games for kids. And, uh, and we did a game called Incredible Machine that I thought was wonderful. And so I thought, I, 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 you know, it's, I, don't, I, I don't want a huge team. And so I was trying to think of things that a small team could do that are holes in the market. And mm -hmm. um, that... Um, so I guess there's two answers to the question is what's sure. realistic for us to do and what would I like to do? I mean, what I'd really like to do is um, something massively multiplayer that's a huge project. But um, I don't know that you can do that with a small team uh, while on a boat. And yeah, also, yeah, I don't want to go out and raise a ton of money. And you know, like the game we're doing, I funded personally, or Roberta and I did. And um Yeah. Uh, so we'll see. I we have no clue. I mean, we just <laughs> want to get this one finished. Of course. I mean, you know, I, I I think too many people worry about their next game before they finish the one they're on, and so I constantly been telling the team and everybody else, let's not think too far ahead. You know, finish what mm -hmm. we got on our plate, and then we'll talk about more. Well, I'd really love to chat with maybe both of you the next time once maybe that product's coming out, and maybe we could talk about it then. What's coming? Um, I really appreciated your time here. Uh, Thank you so much, Ken. Well, thank you. And I uh, hope this worked out good for you. And I uh, look forward to seeing it and following what you're doing. I appreciate so. it. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you. See you later. Bye.